Uh, I don't know about you, but um, I don't like horror movies. Uh, I don't like, you know, zombie apocalypse, you know, and the walking dead and all that. I, I just cannot get into that stuff. I especially get creeped out with uh, the special effects movies do where they have things crawling around under the skin of people. Oh, man, that just like, ah, I want to run out of the room. I can't hack that. Uh, I don't think I'm afraid, but it's just that's not my thing. If you get jollies out of that, more power to you, but uh, not, not me. Uh, I don't like that stuff. Uh, I like the fall, uh, you know, the changing colors of the seasons, probably my favorite season of the year. My birthday happens to fall in late October, right before Halloween, and, and yet I'm kind of like glad October's over, at least in terms of watching TV, because all of the channels seem to commit themselves to showing horror movies the entire month uh, of October. And again, like, I, I, I don't want to scare myself to death. So those are silly things, silly fears. If you think back, if it's not TV, it's, you've probably got some other things like that. You think back when you were a kid, uh, what kind of funny fears that are funny now? They weren't funny back then. I remember as a kid that when it was time to go to bed, I would get about five feet from the bed and take a flying leap and swan dive into the bed, at least when mom and dad went in the room, because there was a boogeyman under the bed. Now, what's interesting about boogeyman, if you get too close to the bed, he can grab you. So you take that five-foot flying leap. At least boys did that. I can't speak whether girls that are sugar and spice and everything nice. I don't know if you do that or not. But boys did that. I did that because I was afraid of that boogeyman under the bed. If he wasn't under there, he was in the closet. But usually the boogeyman was in under the bed, and I would take that flying leap. Another thing that's interesting about boogeyman once you get in bed and cover up, he can't get you. He's under the bed, but he can't get you. I've, I don't know the logic of that in a child's mind, but it, it, it worked. You know, it was, really, it was really pretty cool. So uh, I still jump in bed. So, um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's silly fears and fake fears that we come up with. That's uniquely human, by the way. As far as we know, animals don't come up with fake fears they can be afraid. We can see that in their, how they behave. Uh, and we don't like it when our puppies are afraid or whatnot, but they can be afraid. But human beings will come up with fake fears. They'll come up with irrational fears. Um, fear is something that is just common to living in a fallen world. Now, if you're sitting out there and you're thinking, I've never had a fear. I'm not afraid of anything right now. You're probably a guy in your 20s. Because when I was in my 20s, I was 10 feet tall and bulletproof, too. But as you get older, you get shorter, and you realize you're not bulletproof. Uh, and by the way, if you think that, that you haven't had any fears, then there are some of us who are older, me included, that are kind of look at you and smile and say, well, you just haven't lived long enough. Hang around a while, and you'll, you'll have a fear or fears, some of them quite serious. So fear is something that God talks about in his word. Uh, fear is referenced at least 400 times in the Bible, some kind of way, not just the word fear, but in some way. Meanwhile, at least 360-some times, I don't know who goes through and counts this, but somebody does, uh, there are phrases like, do not be afraid. 
Let not your heart be troubled. Do not fear. Incredible, you know, through Scripture. We'll talk more about that as we go through. But fear is something common to human life, your life. And whether or not you have felt that in a serious way at this point, I hope you haven't. But if you have, I have. Um, it, can, it can come home. Now, there's, there's other ways we could look at this. You think, um, well, as in fear, there are these like associated emotional responses. So maybe you haven't thought of it as fear, but you've been apprehensive or you've, been, you've had anxiety. Okay? Uh, you've worried about things uh, seriously. Have you been uh, disillusioned or nervous about things? Uh, you know, all those things occur uh, in the ministry with which I uh, am privileged to work, Sat7, in the Middle East, North Africa, where there's layered crises, just one after the other. Things go on all the time. And, and a region of the world is dominated by another ism or religion, not Christianity. And Christianity is often suppressed, if not persecuted, and believers are isolated from one another and from Christian teaching and, and the church. Uh, and fellowship, uh, there's all kinds of things to be fearful of, even more than we have. But our country, and I'm not going to go off on that because uh, you know it all, I mean, our, our country's a mess, okay? I'll just put it that way. Our culture, our country, it's a mess. There's things going on that I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. And uh, things that are perpetuating at the highest levels on down, and, and it, it it introduces fear, it introduces anxiety, it introduces a sense of instability or just uncertainty. Uncertainty can create fears because the fear of the unknown. You don't know what's around the corner, okay? We, we can't, God can see around corners, but we can't see around corners. So if you haven't had fear, maybe it's one of these kinds of uh, emotional reactions. Now, there's other things that we have in our life, that, that, these phobias. Uh, I don't know if you ever looked up phobias, uh, there must be 50 or 100 of these. It goes on and on. And um, I just put up a few. Uh, glossophobia, fear of public speaking. Every year they do these surveys, and fear of public speaking ranks right up there at the top, top five. Not terrorism, fear of public speaking. It's amazing to me. I, I, don't, I don't get that. And they all give you techniques about how to avoid it, like you focus on the sound booth back there and not look at anybody. Okay. Or you find a kind face like Phil Bender and speak to him the whole time. Okay. Uh, another one is that you envision your audience naked. And uh, this somehow, uh, I don't recommend this technique. I'm not using this technique. Fear of public speaking. It ranks right up there. Arachnophobia, fear of spiders. There was a movie a few years ago with John Goodman. Remember that one? Jeff Daniels and a bunch of spiders running around. That ranks right up at the top. Claustrophobia, fear of confined spaces. Now, I, I can I get that. Uh, again, a movie, The Great Escape. Remember that one a few years back? Steve McQueen, Charles Bronson, a bunch of other notable actors at that time, and they were in a Nazi prison camp. And over a series of weeks, they were digging a tunnel out from under the barracks, out under the, the fence and to the woods to escape. And the guy that did most of the work of digging this tunnel that they could barely crawl through was Charles Bronson, tough guy Charles Bronson. And they'd rigged up, as I recall, some kind of like little gurney like uh, mechanics use this, you know, to slide under a car. And he'd slide way in there and he'd dig and dig and dig and then they'd pull him out with the rope and they got it all done. And then it came time for that night they were going to escape and Charles Bronson got right to the hole and froze. Now he'd been doing this for weeks. He dug the tunnel. But all of a sudden... 
claustrophobia takes over. He's afraid to go in. Tough guy, Charles. And the way they got him out of there, I forget whether they blindfolded him or closed his eyes, but he had to hold on to the belt of the guy in front of him, and, and that's how they got him out of there. Um, claustrophobia, I can relate a little bit to that. I happened to be talking to, to Kelly Nicholson, who she had her own trip to the Middle East this last summer, and a few years ago I had a similar thing in the largest pyramid there in Cairo. And the pyramids, as you've seen the pictures, have never been there. They're only about 8 or 10 miles out of the city center. They're not way far away. They're right there. And uh, you go out there in the largest pyramid, Cheops, you can go pay an extra, and you could go in through the about mid, midway up on a wall and go way back down deep in that and eventually end up in some burial chamber, chamber and see it. And there's a you know, stone sarcophagus there, and you turn around and you come back out. Well, you hope to get back out. And you're going along, and I got in there. I think I'm going to do this. And, uh, you know, you're walking along, and pretty soon you're doing this. Pretty soon, you're, and pretty soon I'm walking like this. And the walls are here and, here, and I'm brushing the ceiling, and I think, oh. And I'm starting to get short of breath. What's this? Claustrophobia. So I start talking to myself. Like, you know, and you go like that for a while. Pretty soon you'd break out, and you could walk a little bit, like, and then you'd be back into one of those really tight spaces like that. So the way I, I did it, I, I looked at this Chinese guy, Chinese tourist, who was ahead of me. That's, he was all I could see was just back in. And I just kind of focused on this Chinese guy and thought about him. He's moving. I'll keep moving. So I got out of there. And I thought, once I got out of there, I thought, if I ever bring groups here, I'm going to tell you about it and say, God bless you. Go in there. I'm going to stay outside in the Egyptian sunshine. I'm not going in there. Or you can talk to Kelly about it with her experience. But it, it's claustrophobia. Now, I, I, I tell that because that's a silly thing. It's something I don't wrestle with, thankfully, on a regular basis. So I could talk to myself a little bit. But real phobias, people experience and Some of you, I'm sure, have this experience with various things. You, you can't talk yourself out of it. There's, there's an emotional grip. That's what makes these things threatening. And, and we laugh because, you know, we haven't experienced it, but other people do. Agoraphobia, fear of open spaces and crowds. Um, you know the book, um, uh, oh, it went right out of my head, the, the horse, Seabiscuit. The book in the movie, Seabiscuit. The lady who wrote that book, and she wrote another book about a World War II vet that was also a bestseller. Uh, forget her name, Hillenbrand or something like that. But she, she suffers from agoraphobia. She never leaves her condo. Somebody orders her food, somebody does everything, and she writes these two bestsellers, and she, I don't know, she's in her 40s, something like that, but she struggles so much with it, she never leaves her house, ever. That's kind of sad. That, that something like that has a grip on someone to that point. Chromatophobia, fear of spending money. That's a Dutch phobia. <laughs> Hippopotamontrosis quipedaliophobia, fear of long words. I didn't know that one. Nomophobia, fear of being without your mobile phone. That's a teenage phobia. <laughs> and then homilophobia, fear of sermons. That's interesting. So, David, when pastor asks you, you didn't seem to be paying attention last week. You tell him you're struggling with homilophobia. Don't know if he'll buy that, but you could try it. So, these, these things are real. There's lots more of them. And as I say, people struggle with fears, and again, we laugh because we haven't maybe experienced that, but 
for people who do experience real phobias, including panic attacks, I might add, and I'm sure there are people here who have experienced that or maybe yet do, you can't just up and talk yourself out of it. Uh, I've known two men in my life who were afraid to leave more than, say, 10 or 15 miles from their homes. I mean, these guys were believers. They fine men, mature, outstanding people. One was a relative, one was a friend. But there was something about, more than homesickness, there was just something about that they just, they really struggled. They couldn't get on a plane, go anywhere. They couldn't travel very far. And they couldn't just up and say, well, that's silly, because it had a grip on them. Uh, I knew uh, a lady who was my mother's age bracket. The lady's gone now, but uh, a relative in the extended family in Ohio. And, and all her life, again, a believer, mature lady, fine woman, raised her kids, grandkids. All her life, she's afraid of chickens. You think, chickens? Yeah, I mean, really petrified. If chickens showed up on the patio out on the farm, she was out of there. Now, what happened? Well, it goes back to something when she was four or five years old and her sister chased her all over the property with the chicken. Not once, but many times. Cruel little woman. But at any rate, uh, that, boy, that got inside her and traumatized her for the rest of her life. She couldn't just up and say, well, that's a chicken. It's silly for me to be afraid. No, she was afraid. There was a fear. So phobias are real. And... uh, Fears can be on a social, societal, macro level, big things like terrorism. Well, 9-11 did happen. It could happen again, God forbid, but it's out there, that kind of thing. Um, COVID, I was amazed in one sense among even some of my international colleagues with Sat7, we'd be on these Zooms and we'd be talking about COVID and I thought, they are really afraid. Now, I'm not questioning their faith you know, or their, their salvation or their commitment to the Lord or their, their wonderful people, depth, but, and not everybody, but there are a few, they were really afraid. There was something there that was, was it, it seemed bigger than them. And, and maybe you struggled with that, with COVID or something. So there's all kinds of things at that level. And then, of course, personal, emotional level, micro level, there are all these personal things that we can talk about. False fears, as I said, things that are fake, Things that aren't real, and yet they're real to us if we experience them. Uh, everyday fears. Um, there, are, there are these you know, real fears, as I said, panic attacks. Uh, if you've had a loved one become ill. Back in February, Sarah's in the hospital. Boy, I tell you, that got my attention. You know? It got my attention. And I started looking up some of the verses that I'm going to share with you. That's actually the genesis of this presentation. Get your attention. I'd rather be sick. I'm no hero, but I'd rather be sick than my wife be sick. But she's sick, really sick. That's a threatening thing. Some of you have already experienced that. Some of you are experiencing it now. Some of you have uh, lost your loved one who's now with the Lord. As my mother has, dad's been in heaven for four years Mom's not afraid on an ongoing basis. She, she lives alone, does an amazing job taking care of herself at 91 and a half. She's an amazing person of faith. That's what gives her the strength to do this. Uh, I've just watched this. It's just been incredible to see that faith. Faith and fear, you can have both, but God isn't. I'll show you in a moment. His, his will for us is not to be controlled by fear. They're real. 
and they're there. And so we're not making fun of any fear here or anybody that has fears, you know, make a joke or two, but these things are real and you can't necessarily talk yourself out. It's just like when you have addictions. If there are real addictions, you can't just up and say, well, uh, I won't do that anymore. People who are pathological gamblers, they get into it, they're compulsive, they can't, they've already gone so deep into it that it has a grip on them. You know, alcohol, that has a chemical thing. Uh, other kinds of, you know, opioids or other drugs. There's all kinds of things. You, you can't just up and say, well, I'll quit. Uh, I, this is not a screed against counseling or psychology. And we have counselors among us. So that's not what this is. Uh, and I believe counseling, especially Christian counselors, can do a world of good. And, of course, many pastors do counseling and, and help people. But I do have this question about, let's call it secular counseling, meaning the values behind. Uh, I remember back in the 80s and 90s, uh, you know, uh, and I said, Sarah, what is all this, all these books that are coming out? And, and it seemed like women's conferences, women's, Christian women's conferences. And every one of them, not all of them, but it seemed like everyone, they were about coping. Coping with this, coping with that, coping with like. Now, I know the word coping is just an English word. It means learning to deal with and how to respond. It's, you know, it's not the, the word, it's just a word. But it, it became something to me that felt like uh, that you were settling for good enough. You're going to like muddle through. Uh, somehow you'll hang on. You know, you'll, you'll make it to coping. I don't, to, that's, that's my beef with secular counseling, not with counseling. <laughs> But with the values, that, that idea that somehow you just you hang on. The second beef, and more importantly maybe with, with secular counseling, is invariably, and I, I saw that again this past couple of weeks as I got online and looked at sources. Again, over and over again, you get down, here's a list of things to do, and it's look inside yourself. You hear celebrities say that on TV all the time. Look inside yourself. Trust your heart. Trust your, well, hey, inside of me is the problem, Okay. I'm the problem. Uh, I'm the one that's afraid. Uh, I'm the one that's struggling with whatever it might be. I can't fix myself. Uh, it's just difficult. There's that old, old joke about the doctor who you go to the doctor and you say, doctor, it hurts when I do this. And the doctor says, don't do that. Uh, I don't know why I think that joke is funny, but I always have. Uh, it, you, you can't do that with things that have gotten a grip on our psyche on our personality uh maybe overpowering our spiritual understanding or our or level of understanding spiritually spirit of god's there he's more powerful but we're not allowing him to work so there are those things that you just can't talk yourself out of and uh these things are real this is what i find very interesting uh, 80% this was recently, 80% of churchgoers, this was just the last few months, American churchgoers, 80% of them in a survey said they had moderate to significant levels of fear. Churchgoers. 80%. And then another one, 37% of Americans having, this is not just churchgoers, more broadly, anxiety disorder at some point in their lives, 45.2% among women, higher among women, both stats are the highest in the world. 
Well, I thought we were the powerful home of the fray, brave and land of the free. Well, we are. But I, I thought we were the blessed country economically. We are. We have more material goods at our fingertips in Walmart, okay, than kings in ancient society had available to them. We don't think like that, but it's, it's true. And most people have access to those things, have the ability. Some people, of course, can't with uh, their sort of financial ability. But this fear. Why is this happening? Why are teenage suicides rocketing in America? There's reasons for it. As I said a couple weeks ago, it's identity in Christ. But here's what Scripture says. Now, this is two different versions of the same verse. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. Now, I have NIV here. I've used it since 1991. Uh, and in my NIV, it says shadow of death. And the reason is, is online, I picked that up online before I checked here. There's a later version of NIV that says this. So I use that. Darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The old King James. Now anybody that's over 50 grew up with the King James. When I quote Bible verses, just kind of push a button and out comes the Bible verse, it's King James. Why? Because that's what I learned when I was 14. Uh, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I like that wording. And, and the ESV that's in your pews right there that this church uses says uh, shadow of death. I will fear no evil. This is Shepherd David and the, you know, the wonderful 23rd Psalm. Why will he fear no evil? Because he looked inside himself? <laughs> no. For thou art with me. There's the key. That right there is the, is the main point of this whole talk, message, sermon. That the difference between a, a secular or, or non-Christian approach to problem solving and counseling, if you will, is looking inside yourself, trust yourself, self, 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 and the other saying, no, the self is the problem. Okay, Sin is the problem, self is the problem. I can't do this for thou art with me. I rod and I staff that come from me. So you look deeper in scripture. It says, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, in the Old Testament, it talks, I wrote a couple verses down here. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord. Psalm 128, verse 1. Blessed are all who fear the Lord. Now, fear, when it's used that way in Scripture and talking about the Lord, it's talking about awe, talking about respect, talking about honor, talking about obedience, talking about submission to a holy and righteous and powerful God and recognizing that he is sovereign and he is our creator. Fear of the Lord. It's not fear as in cowering. Okay? Uh, it's like when Moses was on the mountaintop uh, he didn't see God, but God revealed himself to, to Moses in a way that when Moses came down, he's like glowing. Remember that, that whole thing? There? And the people were afraid of Moses. Okay. Uh, or was it Elijah that was in the, in the cave? Forgotten now whether it's Elijah. In the cave, and God went by, and he saw the glory of God, but he couldn't just look upon God uh, directly. It's a matter of awe and of recognition that God is God. He's the God of the universe. He is the sovereign God, the creator God. He is the Lord of lords 
and king of kings. That's what fear of the Lord means. But this verse is talking about a different kind of fear. In fact, it's the Greek word phobos, meaning like phobia. Okay? Uh, fears that we have of living in a fallen world. It can be any of those things that we talked about, rational or irrational, false or real. Uh, can be something about our loved ones, our family, our finances, our fear of embarrassment. A lot of people have fear of embarrassment. I think that has to do with the, the public speaking thing. People don't want to make a mistake and be embarrassed. Uh, and I get that. Uh, fear of um, not ju- obviously what can happen to the body, uh, illness or illness of, with our loved ones. Fear of death. I haven't mentioned that till now. Um, I don't walk around, I don't know about you, but I don't walk around and think about death all the time, thankfully. Um, and I don't think I'm afraid of death, but as a human being, I have thought about from time to time my own mortality. And probably you have too. And if you haven't, well, you haven't lived long enough. Uh, you will eventually, okay? Uh, it's, it's there, the reality of it. And you, you wonder... And not always, not always in a matter of being afraid, but thinking about it, you know, in a spiritual sense or whatever it might be. Uh, and I also recognize, and I've seen it, in mature, older Christian saints, especially if they've had loved ones go before them, like my mother. Uh, they're not looking for death, but they're not, they're not afraid of it either. And they'll talk about it from time to time. Why? Because mom talks about dad. This past week, dad would have been 92, and she reminded me of that. He's been gone four years. Some of you have walked through that. You know what that experience is like. Uh, so mom doesn't have a fear of, of death in that respect. She's never expressing, because it's, it's the Lord, and it's heaven, and it's dad. You know, it's however that works out, uh, however the Lord works that out, but it's there, and it's, it's part of her faith. And again, I admire that. But here, God doesn't want us to be living in fear. He certainly doesn't want us to be handled by fear. He wants us to handle fear. And uh, fear is something that is used by Satan absolutely to divide and to develop distrust and to undermine our faith and put us in a position where our faith can't grow because we're controlled by these fears. So faith and fear in that sense are, are opposite. You can have them at the same time. But God's will for us is power and of love and a sound mind. A sound mind. That's interesting. I don't know if I have a sound mind. But a sound mind, okay? Uh, that's the peace of God. We'll talk about that in another verse. Maybe it's coming up here. Uh, yeah, this is the one. Uh, my mother's favorite verses. Know this all the way back to high school. My, when I was in high school, when she was facing a surgery at that time, and she called us all together and said, this is my verse, and this is what I'm depending on, and she did. And she's used this verse ever since. So, do not be anxious, another word for worry or be afraid, of anything, anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And what will happen? And the peace of God which transcends understanding, peace that surpasses understanding, some of the other versions say, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Peace of God is the title of one of Billy Graham's many books. 
Billy's with the Lord, as you know. Lived to be in his 90s and with the Lord. Uh, I don't know if it was his bestseller. I think it might be. Um, but I've always, I've always heard that, that if you want to write a book that a lot of people buy, you want to write one of two kinds of books. Zach, you, later on you write books. One, write one on the peace of God, because everybody wants to know about that. And the others write a crime thriller. But uh, <laughs> peace of God that passes or transcends understanding. It's so great, it's so fantastic, we can't even describe it. Now, we'll say more about this in a few moments. But the scripture is not uh, abracadabra. It's not, okay, I'll recite this scripture and abracadabra, I'll have peace. God doesn't work that way. Um, the Holy Spirit of God is more powerful who lives within you than anything you confront. He has the answer to everything you experience in life. It says that in 2 Peter, everything for life and godliness is there. First Peter, everything for life and godliness is there for us. All the answers are there, including do not be afraid. And how not to be afraid. We're going to show you how that is in a moment. But here, the point is, whatever your anxiety Whatever your fear, whatever your phobia, whatever your sense of panic even, whatever it might be, even if, and especially maybe if, your spouse doesn't even know about it. You can talk to God about it. He, he says anything and in every situation. There's nothing beyond the boundaries. Nothing where God's going to say, ah, get over it. You know, buck up. Stiff upper lip. The Brits, you know, keep calm and carry on. No, no. God's not going to say that. Um, we talked about this, mentioned this before. The Eastern gods, little g, are all these transcendent gods that are, are way, way out there. Not involved in every The Western gods, little g, are these imminent, they're, they're involved in everyday life. Uh, Francis Schaeffer is the one who said that Christianity, the God of the Bible, is both imminent, transcendent, sovereign, and imminent, uh, excuse me, transcendent, and imminent. He's the Heavenly Father. He's personal. He's caring. He's loving. He's right there with you. Uh, that's what our friends in the Middle East and North Africa, those that have been uh, taught an ism of Islam and Allah, that he's this scary, transcendent God out there, but he's not imminent. He's not a heavenly father. He's not compassionate. He's not loving. He's not caring. He's not right there. They're afraid. They're afraid of God himself or their vision of God. Uh, so here, you can talk to God about anything. And it says in scripture to do this. It doesn't say it, you know, when you get around to it, no, do it. And here's the shepherd king. Now, I may have mentioned this before. Because this, to me, is so powerful in my own life, and I want to share it. When I was younger, and when I was 10 feet tall and bulletproof, I used to read the Psalms once in a while, and I think, what is wrong with this guy? He's always complaining about something. He's always whining about something. He's always afraid of something. It struck me that way. I hadn't lived long enough. I hadn't hit the wall myself yet. Okay. I'm still foolish enough to think I could do things in my own strength. But David 
loudly, if poetically, his poet, okay, lyrically even, laments his trials, his troubles, and his fears. There's nothing that David doesn't tell God about in the book of Psalms. Every experience you ever have or will have, he's talked about it. David experienced it, he put it right there. And he told God about it. Did God not know? Well, of course God knew. But David needed to have that connection and fellowship with the Almighty God, and he told him. Now, if we were going to stop with secular counseling, coping, <laughs> we sort of stop here and, and God would say, well, you know, David, get over yourself. David, you know, quit dwelling on your internal problems and get on with life. You're all right. Buck up. You know, you, you've been given all kinds of things. No, it, it isn't like that. What David does over and over, he does not stay wallowing in himself or his trials, but he looks outside himself to the sovereign God. And over and over and over in an entire long book of Psalms, he talks about one of the things I found when I first read this, like the, God's unfailing love. Circle that how many times you find that in the book of Psalms. God's strong right arm, kind of a metaphor for God's power and strength and providence in your life. Over and over, he talks about who God is. So he celebrates and reminds himself in dealing with his problems about the character of God, the person of God, about the providence, the, the history of God's actions in the world and, and how he's dealt with things in the past. Um, God's promises, especially. And God keeps his promises. Just like your salvation is not dependent on anything you have done or possibly can do, it's dependent upon who Christ is and what he's done for you. Same with the problems in your life now. If you have fears, you have anxieties, you have any of these things we've talked about that are beyond your ability to handle, give them to the Lord. I've said before, David, if he were to come back today, he'd probably fit right in. Because this is a social media age, you know, where everybody puts their feelings out on social media. They tell you things you don't need to know, especially if they're a celebrity. David would love that. I mean, he just like, you know, he just puts stuff out there. But he didn't just stay there. And he sure didn't beat his chest and say, look what I did. He said, Lord, I have, I have hit the wall. I have, I have at the end of my rope. I can't handle this. And that's a prayer that I have personally prayed a few times in my life that I can tell you from experience is a fantastically liberating thing to pray. Is you get to a point and say, Lord, I can't handle this. <laughs> Does God not know that? Of course he knows that. But it's a submission and admission of my own heart. I can't handle this. Whether it's professional or personal. I can't. It's bigger than me. It's beyond me. I know you've given me lots of, but I can't handle this. And I can't even handle my own stress. You know, I got backaches and stomach aches and headaches. I can't handle my own fears. No. So what do you do? You go back to like David. Here's some verses from the book of Psalms. Psalm 56. When I am afraid... David said this, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. Amazing. Didn't change the circumstances, 
but it changed David's heart because he reminded, he was reminded, and God worked in him and through him of who God is. Psalm 34. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. All my fears. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Well, if you experience the earthquakes in Turkey or Syria, you might think, wow, this is happening <laughs> right in front of me. Um, Isaiah 41.10, this is God speaking now. He says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. David again, Psalm 118. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I remember... um, I remember when uh, Pastor Eddie Dobson at uh, Calvary, um, he was diagnosed with ALS, which eventually took his life, and and he lived for a number of years, longer than they anticipated, I think because there were thousands of people praying for him, was one reason. Uh, And he said, when he was dealing with this sense of, I've been given this terminal diagnosis, I'm in my 50s, he would get this is, you know, pastor of a big church. You get utterly, I mean, he's, he's wasted. <laughs> How do you deal with that? What do you do? And he said, I, I be, this when he's still doing some speaking, I began to memorize scripture. And when I was in those depths of despair, I'd start quoting that scripture. And then I'd quote him again. And I'd quote him again. And again, it's not abracadabra. It's not like, oh, that fixed it. No. It's that the Spirit of God works and begins to work in his heart. And he would talk about the fact that God would give him, sometimes immediately, sometimes at length, peace. And maybe that peace, he said, would last for an evening. And the next morning, it'd be right back, the depths of despair. What do you do? Right back to those scriptures and start repeating the scripture, talking to God and praying and trusting him over and over. And he would do that over and over. Did that. My mother has talked about that in dealing with grief. That when it strikes her, and it still does from time to time, she and dad had 66 wonderful years together. You know? Suddenly he's gone. And God's providence, great marriage. So sometimes it yet kind of settles in. What's she do? Back to the scripture. Who is God? What has he promised? How is he working in my life? Does he know about me? Can he count the hairs on my head? Then he need to. He knows how many hairs are on my head. Uh, am I more valuable than sparrows, the scripture says? Yes. So it's the scripture. It's God who delivers us. So we go outside ourselves. That's what I think David did. And that's why I think if you are struggling with fear of any kind, start reading the book of Psalms. Okay. Read it again and again. It's a long book. I remember when I first confronted this and was dealing with some stuff, I read it twice in a month. Now, for me, that's a big deal. I mean, a lot. And that's when I first started dawning on me. Wow, unfailing love. You know, strong right arm. So I started seeing these things. David. And then here's another verse from Psalms. We wait in hope for the Lord. We move from coping to hoping. Okay, if I could say it that way. We wait in hope for the Lord. He 
is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love, there's that phrase, be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. So David talked again and again, just like he did in Psalm 23, 4, when he said, Yea, that I walk through the valley of shadow of death, and I fear no evil, for thou art with me. That's the only reason he had no fear, or why well, he was delivered from his fear. And he began to realize what Paul was talking to Timothy about, that a power and love and a sound mind is because God was there. And God delivered him from that. So you move, pray, coping from hoping. You focus on the truth. Mentions God's person, providence, promises, presence. God is there. He will never leave you nor forsake you. you. You can be in prison. You can be in Afghanistan. We get, we get testimonials every week at Sat 7 from these places where people are oppressed or persecuted or afraid to express their faith, but they, they know Christ, they've come to Christ, or they're asking about how. Uh, and they go right back and celebrate the same God, the same promises, and the same sense of protection and deliverance. Uh, I heard this years ago, behavior changes feelings. Uh, I think that, that works. If, you're, if you are um, feeling badly about how messed up your garage is, there's so much junk crammed in your garage or your barn, if you start Saturday morning <laughs> early, and work about three hours and straighten up some of that, you'll start feeling better. Guarantee you. Um, that's a kind of a silly application. But in this, you read the Psalms, it says, memorize scripture like Eddie Dobson did. And then it's interesting in Philippians 4.8, and my good wife talks about this. Uh, beyond there, when it says, don't be anxious for anything in the peace of God, it comes back and says, think on such things. What kind of things? Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are noble, Whatsoever things are of good report. And it goes down a list like that of focusing your mind on something other than these scary media hype things that we get constantly. By the way, the media contributes to our social fears today, if not our personal, because if it bleeds, it leads. And they talk about it incessantly. And they talk about it to the point where they're undermining your own confidence, your confidence in your own government or your own institutions or your own country or your own faith, maybe. From time to time they do that. Movies do the same thing, but not the scripture. So you go back and say you give all your cares to God and and his peace uh, will be there. Now, I believe this because I've experienced it in my own life. Uh, I wish it for you in terms of God's blessing that you would experience that power and love and sound mind, not a spirit of fear. And I don't have a doubt in my mind that in a group this size that we've got all different kinds of fears uh, and anxieties and so forth. It's just life. And nothing to be ashamed of. They're just there. But it's how we respond to them. And God doesn't want us to be uh, overwhelmed and burdened and, and debilitated, maybe spiritually debilitated in all of this. He wants us to have peace. Now, you know the, the song... A little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above your deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears, interesting. This goes all the way back to 1868. 
the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Who? In the babe in the manger. In Jesus Christ. And peace to men on earth. I think it's a fantastic lyric reminding us who God is and reminding us that he's right there with us and that we are not uh, subject to this voracious world. It's true that the peace or the prince and power of the air is the devil. That he's like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom whom he may devour. (laughs) That uh, your friends at work may not be helpful to you in this regard. Uh, Our culture isn't all kinds of things. Scripture, Word of God, peace of God, the body of Christ, by the way. Uh, I'll, I'll finish with that, that the, the fellowship that we enjoy in being able, even once a week, if that's your pattern, of coming together is something lots of other believers in the world do not have available to them. They're isolated. They, they, they can't, or they, even if they want to, they can't connect. We have that. And so it's important for us to pray for one another, be sensitive to one another, to invest in one another, care about one another uh, as we celebrate who God is. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that we can come before you in prayer. We thank you that uh, you are ever there and ever present, that you've spoken, that you revealed yourself and your character and your will to us, uh, that you're a holy God and a righteous God and a just God but also a loving and merciful and gracious God. And so we pray, Lord, for your comfort and your compassion. Uh, Especially we pray if anyone's here that really is struggling with some kind of fear, uh, God, you give them, through your word, uh, the ability to be delivered, that the Spirit of God can work in their life. In Christ's name we pray.